Good afternoon, and welcome to Citizen K, a weekly current affairs program featuring in-depth interviews and perspectives. I'm Kareem Mosna. A bit of a theme coming up on this week's Citizen K, we'll explore two initiatives that directly benefit local youth. Executive Masters of Business Administration students from the Smith School of Business at Queen's University are given a surprise team-building project. And we'll also hear about a pilot project that brought healthier and fresher foods to students. That's all on the way here on Citizen K. But first, we turn to health and innovation. This year's Kingston-Syracuse Pathway Cross-Border Conference on Health Innovation focused on how healthcare systems can adapt following the COVID-19 pandemic. The event brought together speakers from both Kingston and Syracuse, including researchers, medical professionals, educators, and mayors from both cities. A new feature of this year's conference was a pitch competition, where five life sciences companies competed for a $5,000 prize, as facilitated by Queen's Innovation Centre. This year's winner is the startup MDetect. I spoke with co-founder Ursa Schottka to learn more about MDetect and what she took away from this year's conference. The research for MDetect is coming out of Dr. Christopher Mueller's lab um, at DBMS and also at the Cancer Research Institute from Queens. So MDetect is basically a blood test. And uh, with this one tube of blood that we collect, we are able to determine the amount of tumor uh, for breast cancer that's present in your body. And the purpose of MDetect is to help guide the therapy that you're on. So a lot of the time when a doctor puts you on a chemotherapy or a drug to manage your breast cancer, your metastatic breast cancer, it really only works positively in about 30% of women. And so doing a blood test to rapidly determining whether it's working or not is the point of MDetect. And so we hope to use it to guide therapy for these metastatic breast cancer patients. Excellent. And this will certainly make a big difference in terms of properly diagnosing and uh, making the right decisions in these situations. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, So it'll help both the patient to live longer by finding a a drug that works best for them and also help the the oncologist as well. So you're co-founder of this organization. Tell me about uh, the process of, of starting this company. Um, So for me, it was sort of a unique opportunity. Uh, My background is not in cancer biology. Uh, My PhD was focused on infectious fungal pathogens. But I learned about uh, Chris's research because we were in the same department. And one of the things that motivated me to, to be a part of this company to help it you know, get it off the ground is the passion that Chris brought into it. So unfortunately, and I hope he doesn't mind me sharing, um, you know, uh, many of his maternal family members, so his mom, his aunt, his grandma all passed away from metastatic breast cancer. And he spent, you know, most of his career dedicated to this research and, and very passionate about getting this out so that it can help women live longer. And so that really dedicated me to be, you know, part of this company and help it grow and and to hopefully see it in in action. You won the $5,000 prize in the pitch competition at the Cross-Border Conference 2022. Um, How, first of all, how how did it feel to to, to win uh, this competition? 
Yeah, it was great. I mean, uh, kudos to all the other contestants. Like, I think everyone did a fantastic job. Um, I was pretty surprised at winning. A uh, very proud moment for MDetect. And, and I think, you know, part of it is really the connection that we have uh, to get to to the patients and to get this out there today. You know, if it could be in the market tomorrow, that would make us happy. And I think that really... Um, was was felt in the audience and and maybe part of the reason uh, we got such success in winning the competition. Excellent, and something that certainly uh, has affected a lot of people. Where do you think that these funds are going to go towards in terms of starting this company? Yeah, that's a great question. So we currently don't have any employees, um, and there's a great organization, MyTax, that helps uh, startups sort of get you know up on their feet. And going, and so they they um, sort of match funds or leverage funds, uh, and can provide additional funds to hire employees and students or young graduates and so on. And so, you know, we can use this money as sort of a leverage with my tax, and then hopefully hire our first employee. Wow! So it's definitely opportunities uh, to grow, uh, to 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 hire, um, expand is definitely what, what you're looking at at this point. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Okay, great. Uh, tell me a bit more about the cross-border conference. You know, I understand there was a lot of talks to do with um, you know, the future of, of healthcare and, and, uh, and opportunities for innovation. Uh, tell me, what was a key takeaway for you from this conference? So the, the conference was fantastic and it covered a whole range of different topics from COVID-19 pandemics, even touching on monkeypox, which is come, you know, sort of this new thing that we're hearing about, to uh, Lyme disease, considering we live in Kingston and ticks are a problem here. Um, one of the main takeaways I uh, took from this conference was actually in, uh, from the keynote speaker, Alison Turner. And she is the co-founder of NuVax, uh, which is a vaccine company that makes vaccines for pneumonia and very preventable disease. But unfortunately, in developing wor- worlds, there's a lot of kids that die from pneumonia. I think it's like she said, maybe one in every 20 seconds or every 30 seconds, a child dies from pneumonia. So she had a very compelling talk. But the main takeaway was that she was talking about equity. And so we are all part of this biotech healthcare companies and we can provide life-saving technologies, drugs, what, so, so whatever it be, may be, but to provide access to people that really need it and that can't afford to buy it. And you know, a lot of the talks and what I'm learning from business development obviously revolve around capital and funding and money. Um, but you know, they were a company that are successful and were able to sell their vaccine for about a dollar considering many vaccine companies could be hundreds of dollars um, in order to provide this sort of equity in healthcare around the world. And that really it's, you know, to be a society that's healthy, we have to work collaboratively and not competitively or else, you know, we are going to go backwards. Uh, you just finished your PhD yeah, in, that's uh, in biotech, if I'm not mistaken, in molecular. In, yeah, in uh, cell biology and biochemistry. And, um, you know, as you finished, you know, and I know you, you're hard at work with this MDetect, uh, what are some of your other hopes now? 
Yeah, so I mean, as a scientist, one of the things that I wasn't trained in, unfortunately, was business development, and and so I'm still learning a lot. I'm currently sort of taking two or three courses, programs, part of programs that will help teach me business development and, and how to grow business and really be an entrepreneur because that's a, it's not something that I was familiar with coming into this. And I, I really want to learn. I'm motivated to learn a little bit more of the business side of things. You are listening to Citizen K on CFRC 101.9 FM, cfrc.ca, and on podcast. I'm Kareem Mosna. The Food Sharing Project is a local independent charity that partners with Student Nutrition Ontario to provide meals to local schools. They are currently wrapping up a prepared food pilot project this week. The pilot was initiated to offer Kingston area schools healthier foods such as fresh fruit and vegetables, wraps and sandwiches to their students instead of the prepackaged foods that were being served through the pandemic. The pilot began in April after receiving a $10,000 grant from the Kingston and Area Community Foundation. I spoke with Food Sharing Project Executive Director Andy Mills to learn more about the impact of this pilot for both students and teachers, along with the employment opportunities it provided for those living with mental illness through the Voices, Opportunities and Choices Employment Club. The demand for healthy food uh, from from the schools uh, towards you and this project, um, 30 to 40 percent increase over the past two years. Uh, What has caused such an increase in demand? Right. Well, that's a really interesting question about what the demand is. I think it's a number of factors that are uh, working together here. Uh, prior to the to the COVID pandemic in 2020, uh, our demand, uh, the food that we were delivering to schools was our value of about $15,000 a week, which is still significant, but was uh, that was what it was. And when COVID um, was here and schools closed for a while, but once schools got back up and running, a lot of people were still, I think, reeling from the pandemic, um, you know, job loss or job interruption, things like that. And that we saw a demand, we saw the demand rise from the food that the schools needed for their student nutrition programs to about about 18 to $20,000 uh, a week, sort of as of September 2020, you know, when school sort of got back and that kind of kept on going. And I think the last, you know, six months or so uh, with the increase in the cost of, uh, of gas, transportation, the costs of just everything, you know, inflation being at 6% or, or however it is. And the cost of food has been going up. We've been noticing the cost of food items going up anywhere from 5 to 25%, depending on what it is. And so families know that when there's a healthy food at school, they can rely on that and help, you know, use some of their other household income to some of the other costs that they have to deal with groceries at home, gas to get to work, uh, you know, paying your utilities and rent, those types of things. So increasing number of students we feel are starting to, or we know are starting to rely on food programs at school. So then schools are of course demanding or or the demand from schools is increasing, you know, considerably. So now we've, uh, we're doing anywhere between 20 and $25,000 worth of food every single week to schools across the region, which so that's a fairly significant increase from from pre-COVID um, numbers. You just recently received a grant from the Kingston and Area Community Foundation, uh, valued at over ten thousand uh, dollars. Can you talk a, a bit about the grant and exactly where these funds are, are going to help um, in, in your service? Absolutely. So one thing that we noticed uh, uh, during COVID, especially, but also before that, was that. 
school staff are extremely busy and had all kinds of increased demands, particularly during the COVID pandemic to do with, uh, you know, screening and health and safety and, and so on. Um, and the, the, the schools run the student nutrition programs and they're finding less and less time to be able to offer healthy foods. Also uh, with COVID restrictions, food had to be individually portioned and prepackaged, uh, especially at the outset of COVID when we weren't quite sure how the, the, the virus was transmitted and as we learned more about that. So the, the, the quality or the nutritional quality of the food decreased to some extent. We still offered the best we possibly could in individual portion type things, but we felt that we weren't able to offer the best and schools weren't able to have the time to prepare, you know, sandwiches or breakfasts or things like that other than prepackaged food. So we thought, well, maybe there's a way we can address this. And we, we wanted to test it out and see. So we applied for a grant from the Community Foundation and we were uh, very graciously received over $10,000 to try a, a three, three and a half month project, a pilot project just over the last uh, few months, where we're working with um, a local uh, organization to prepare healthy wraps and pasta salads and things like that, that include protein and whole grains and veg fruits and vegetables that are a more complete meal rather than something that you would get, uh, you know, a muffin wrapped in plastic type of thing. And we selected some schools to pilot that project. And, and we knew that that was gonna be above and beyond our, 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 our financial budget that we have for our regular school programs. So that's why we, we sought the grant and, and we're very um, appreciative that the community foundation as allowing us to take a risk to try it out to see whether it works and then we'll sort of analyze that and see how it goes going forward i understand this project is also beneficial and it's uh, it's also being a source of employment uh tell me about this partnership with the providence hospital right absolutely so our organization has worked with uh, vocec which is an organization through providence hospital which employs adults that are living with mental illness um, they have a number of very creative projects and employment opportunities Typically, um, um, VOCEC employees perhaps um, have barriers to maintaining a, a full, quote unquote, traditional nine to five, you know, uh, five day a week type of job. But VOCEC creates unique opportunities that uh, that allow um, adults living with mental illness to be able to, to have gainful and meaningful employment. We've worked with them for many, many years. Uh, we, 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 every week we pack our food boxes and we employ four associates from VOCEC every Monday who come in and work half days to help us pack our food boxes. So when we were looking for a source for, um, for the food, the prepared food that we wanted to do, we, we contacted Vocac knowing that they have a, a kitchen uh, called Great Lakes Kitchen, uh, which they prepare, um, they hire their employees to prepare food items for um, different uh, hotel establishments, accommodations, things like that. And they worked with us to design a couple of food items that they could prepare and that we would pick up on a daily basis and, and deliver to some of the schools in the pilot project. So it's terrific. It's a great organization that's creating meaningful employment uh, for adults living with mental illness. And we were able to um, create a little bit more employment um, and then be able to benefit from having you know these wonderfully made uh, food items made in a certified you know food safety certified kitchen. I was looking at some of the foods that are being served. So I saw that wraps uh, was 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 uh, tried earlier and also uh, sandwiches, hummus sandwiches. Uh, what goes into deciding what is served uh, to students through this program? 
Yeah, so, so because it's a pilot project, we kind of wanted to not get too big. We wanted to be specific with a few food items. And so we, we our board of directors um, for the food sharing project um, includes a representative from the Kingston Chronic Clinics and National Public Health Unit. And so we contacted our, our, new, our dietitian who sits on our board of directors and is appointed by the health unit who advises us on nutritional standards. We do have uh, standards that are provided um, through the province of Ontario because of our association with Student Nutrition Ontario. So we combined those and, and we talked with the staff at Great Lakes Kitchen and our dietitian and we looked at what the guidelines were that the province required and we came up with something that we thought might be uh, you know, a robust meal that meets all the nutritional criteria. So a chicken wrap uh, has your chicken for your protein, has, a, you know, some flavor items, has some vegetables, has a whole grain uh, bread product. So a really nice little, you know, a nice little food package and tasty and uh, also meets all the nutritional criteria. So that was the first item we tried. And then we thought, okay, well, let's, let's try and create a couple options. We wanted to create a vegetarian option, of course. So we tried a hummus, uh, hummus and veggie wrap. Uh, so we have those as well too. And then we wanted to try something, another little di different thing. So then we expanded to add uh, what we call a Southwestern pasta salad, also a vegetarian item. And it's just, just something different than a sandwich. And so we kind of kept it at that. We, we thought we could expand further, but for this pilot project, we thought we would try those three things and get feedback and see, see how they go over for starters. Okay. So w where do we go from here? The pilot project has been running. Where, what's, what, what's next in this process? That is a terrific question. So we are wrapping it up in the next week or so, uh, this pilot project. We've been doing it since April. Um, and uh, we've already done, we've done a preliminary survey uh, of the schools and the students back at the beginning when the first six schools, there's 12 schools in the pilot. When the first six started for a couple of weeks, we did a little survey just to kind of get a sense of where, where we on the right track. Uh, and that came back very positive from both the students um, saying that they enjoyed the flavor, felt that the product product was fresh it was it was yummy it was you know healthy and also from the school staff who felt that it, um, it really saved them some time and and helped them provide some really healthy food for their students but where do we go from here so what we're going to do is we're, we'll be taking a look at um, a number of things such as the cost what is the cost associated with uh, creating the product because of course there's a uh, you know labor uh, as well as the, the uh, ingredients and so on uh, the logistics you know how we have been picking up them on the wraps on a daily basis is that still feasible how how can we scale it up <clears throat> if we want to scale up right like, like i mentioned we have 12 schools in the pilot project and there were only once a day for each of those schools so how do we um it, is it possible to um expand that to offer it every day to more schools uh, and uh, farther abroad uh, we have over 80 schools that we provide food to on a regular a weekly basis so what would be involved in that so it's just we have to sit down and analyze and take a look at it and also, we need to look at did did providing these prepared foods decrease some of the other foods, the packaged, less healthy foods, um, and take a closer look at, at that type of thing as well, too, and just kind of do an analysis and say, do we proceed in the fall? Where do we go? And uh, and then that would come out of our, our regular budget. Excellent. And, uh, and and as also as mentioned, this is also uh, helped you know to to save save some time as well uh, for uh, school staff as well who were. Uh, we're originally, you know, do um, not have to put in additional hours uh, in, in, into preparing these healthy options. That's right. Uh, school staff, uh, when we asked if they wanted to try this project, we got very positive feedback. Of course, school staff, as I mentioned, particularly during COVID, have been very strapped for time. Uh, very often it's, a, it's an EA or a, 
uh, you know, it's another school staff member that's kind of doing this off the side of their desk um, or the corner of their desk, so to speak, or during their break, trying to prepare some student nutrition and, and so on. And, and the ease of prepackaged food is great, but it, they really felt there was a deficit in the nutritional value uh, to some extent. And so to be able to offer these, you know, ready-made, open the box, there they are, put them on a plate and, and put, put them out. It just made life easier for them. And they feel feel confident that the students that really need the nutritional, um, the nutrition are, are getting, you know, a really well-rounded nutritional piece. So definitely save them time. And the, the response from this, the school staff has been really terrific. So it's, um, that's, that's a real positive and, and uh, we're glad to hear that. It's just uh, how do we go forward with it and how can we make it available to more schools and so forth. Now, now these meals, are, are they served to students who might um, come from families that, that might have, have challenges in, in, in providing uh, lunches? Uh, they might. Um, the, the, the main principle of the Food Sharing Project and Student Nutrition Ontario is that it's accessible to any student who needs nutrition for whatever reason. So it's not a needs-based program per se. It's, it's a program that, um, that has, is based on research, lots of research that shows that students who have healthy food will do better at school, um, will be more focused on their studies, will have better social interactions with their peers, and so on and so forth. There's plenty of, of evidence to that extent. So that's what the Student Nutrition Program was developed provincially on, uh, you know, 20 years ago when it was established. Uh, and so that's, that's we, we also feel that um, by providing accessible to all students, it reduces stigma for those students who may have, may come from a family that has less food literacy or is financially struggling and can't afford as healthy a food. So by making the food programs accessible to any student, um, uh, it reduces the stigma of those students that don't have to, you know, um, ask specifically for a particular item because of a need. So it, so it is available to any student who needs nutrition, I guess is sort of the bottom line. But by doing that, then we catch those families that are particularly struggling, right? That may, um, may you know, where this, it could be a number of reasons parents could go off to work early in the morning and the students are expected to pack their own lunch and maybe don't have the ability to do that. Uh, or it could be, uh, um, you know, families that are struggling with income uh, and, and employment and, and aren't able to, to purchase healthy foods, um, which are more expensive and so on. So, so it is, a, so, so it's accessible to any student, to all students that have any student that requires nutrition for whatever reason in the school environment. And by doing that, we, we certainly capture those students that are most in need. You're listening to Citizen K on CFRC 101.9 FM. I'm Kareem Mosna. Executive masters of business administration students at the Smith School of Business come from all across the country. But they were here at Queen's for an in-person session when they were given a surprise assignment to build bicycles for local youth. Gloria Satcon is the director of the EMBA program and she joined me to talk about why they were given this project and the partnership with the YMCA. Tell me a little bit about what inspired this, this partnership uh, with the YMCA. So we, our executive MBA participants are based right across Canada and so they were on campus during the last week of May and we wanted to develop a team building exercise that would not only help them in supporting with the team building but also creating impact in the community. And so through affiliations with the Y of Eastern Ontario, we decided to do a bike build activity which uh, helped us with the team building, but also then supported us with uh, giving back to the community directly as the bicycles were donated to the Y. So um, tell me a bit about what, what the students um, were, were doing in, in part in, in creating this project. 
So we didn't reveal the details of the bike build afternoon until the moment they were uh, introduced to it. And they were tasked with building a bicycle. We had uh, Graham from Frontenac Cycle here in Kingston with us demonstrating how to build a bike. And the students were then tasked with doing that. Once they completed their first bike, we then let them know that they were going to be building a second bike. And we also shared the first name of the, of the children of which the bicycles would be donated to. So it had a lot more meaning once our students knew that these bicycles would be in the hands of local children. So this is interesting. I mean, um, it, it's, it's maybe a little bit outside of the normal curriculum for the MBA program. Um, but is this more to maybe uh, teach students the value of, of giving back to the community? Yes, certainly that is a part of it, but we're also big into experiential learning at the Smith School of Business, and so we're always looking for ways to add to the outside of the classroom experience, and this is yet one example of just how we went about doing that. Excellent. Um, and um, what are your hopes that um, both students and families will take away from this program? Well, our students were certainly delighted to be a part of this initiative. Um, building bikes was a cool activity, but even more meaningful when they knew that children in the community would be the recipients of the bikes. So they felt that they were making their impact. And of course, it was wonderful to be able to partner with the Y um, while our students were here. So it was a great win-win for everybody. Michelle Oakley and her daughter, Journey Brown, were among recipients of the bike. How does it feel to receive uh, this bicycle on behalf of Queen's University Smith School of Business? Fun and excited. Fun and excited. Yeah, uh, I think it's a great program. I do work on Queen's campus, so I was really excited to hear that they were involved. <laughs> It's, it's a great program and we really appreciate this opportunity. We really do. It's exciting. She just learned how to drive a bike, so, and it's a little bit too small. So coming here and getting a bike that fits is super exciting. Really nice. I, I'm, I'm excited for her, yes. How did it turn out that you would be a recipient of this bike? Uh, they um, ask you to write a little uh, story about your child and um, and then they go through and pick uh, the eligible people to receive a bike. I also, once I was told that she was picked, I sent in a picture and a little bit of her favorites, colors and food and things like that, activities, hobbies. And, uh, and then um, we had gotten a call to come today. Excellent. And uh, do you hope to get out and, and start riding your bicycle now? Yeah. Yeah? Today? Are you going to be on it? Mm -hmm. Yes. Oh, I'm sure when, as soon as we walk in that door, it's <laughs> yeah. going to be good. Get on the bike and she's going to be gone for a bit. It's very exciting, though. The EMBA program previously participated in this initiative in 2019. It was on hiatus through the pandemic. In previous episodes of Citizen K, we have looked at the housing crisis, homelessness, and encampments. The City of Kingston has just issued its Housing and Social Services Report for 2021. The report offers updates on city initiatives in areas of childcare, social assistance, homelessness, community, social, and affordable housing. 
The report also shares data on who is accessing these services, accomplishments, along with challenges. The whole report can be accessed at cityofkingston.ca. And that's all for Citizen K this week. Citizen K was produced with the generous support of the Faculty of Engineering and Applied Sciences at Queen's University. CFRC 101.9 FM broadcasts from Kingston, Ontario on the traditional lands of the Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee peoples. Thank you for listening. I'm Kareem Mosna.